You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Montana, so it's a little different, but uh, wow, it's just so different here, it's so nice worshiping in English, I just got into the United States uh, 48 hours ago uh, from my home in Africa, and uh, so it's very different seeing everybody, so not wearing clothes and shoes, and, uh, and some of you have taken baths, and I'll talk to you later, but uh, it's a... Uh, very different from where uh, where I live, but it's good to be here. Uh, raise your hand again if you am I new to you. So I just want to. I didn't get a count, so not not so many. I'll I'll really briefly talk talk to a little uh, about me. Everybody's wondering what's he done? Is he fun? Can he run? Who's his son? And all that. So I'll give you a little bit of that, but that's not really what I believe the Lord has this morning. A um, couple of things I want to say before I begin is uh, these yellow cards uh, that are on the chair next to you. If you want to keep track of what the Lord is doing through our ministry or firsthand or be related to it directly, you can fill it out and... Uh, Greta will talk a little more about this at the end. She'll collect the cards. But, uh, but, but you can fill that out, and those will be collected. Uh, so anyway, does anybody not have a card that needs a card? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody has a card. Okay. Um, those that I'm new to... Uh, oh, gosh, I'm just kind of so, so confused. I have... I'm, I'm at, you know, sometimes you're at a, a fork in the road, and I feel like I'm in a fork of uh, like four or five different directions. Uh, as I was just praying there, I don't know why, but the Lord brought me to Philippians 3, 17 and 18. And I don't know if this has anything to do with what I'm sharing about or not, but it, it talks about Paul... It starts out in uh, Philippians 3, 17. It says, Paul says, I say it to you again and again. I repeat myself. It's so important that I say this to you. And then it goes on to verse 18, and he says, Many live as enemies of Christ. That's what I thought it said. Many live as enemies of Christ. But it's not what it says. Uh, and uh, it, it just really quickened me as I was sitting there, and I just go, you know, but many live as enemies. Uh, does anybody know the missing word? The cross of Christ. Everybody thinks it's terrible to suffer or be inconvenienced or uh, to miss a meal or uh, to, uh, you know, not have your comfortable bed or your favorite pillow. And, uh, but anyway, uh, 
but many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, the message I'm going to be sharing today, if I can get to it, is it, it can be interpreted in two ways. It depends upon the person you're at, uh, whether you're a half-empty or a half-full glass person. Some people will say, oh, uh, to, uh, to have more of God, I just want more of God, I want to be used by God, I want, want all this stuff. And uh, they get excited about that, and all that God wants for you, while other people say, oh, gosh, he wants that, and he wants me to do this, and, you know, and they go negative. So it depends on the person you're at, and I, I can't control that. So we're going to be talking more about that in uh, just a little bit. I'm uh, kind of still a little, uh, should have had some coffee this morning, but... Uh, I was woken up at three in the morning by my daughter. Uh, she's uh, she runs submarines for private engineering firms uh, in the southern hemisphere, and she happened to be on a sat phone, satellite phone, and she thought I was still in Africa, so she calls me up at three in the morning, and uh, and she goes, uh, you know, you know, hello, you know, I, why, why are you sleeping in the middle of the afternoon? I go, well, it's three in the morning. I'm in New England. And she goes, oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that. You want to go back? No, no, go ahead. What's going on? She goes, no, I just happened to be, have access to the sat phone and just wanted to say hi. And then she said, do you know there's, on the Canary Islands, there's no canaries? <laughs> and I go... I'm thinking, oh, did she wake me up for this? And, and, and I go, say it again. She goes, on the Canary Islands, there's no canaries. And I go, oh, okay, well, great. And she said, and it's the same with the Virgin Islands. <laughs> and I go, what? She goes, there's no canaries on the Virgin Islands. No canaries. And, so, and I'm just sitting there going, Oh my gosh, I gotta go back to sleep. <laughs> and so anyway, she prattled on about something, but uh, so if I fall asleep in the middle of my message, it's my own fault. And uh, uh, I'm just thinking uh, a couple things today. I am gonna talk a very short little bit about uh, missions in Africa and what you folks are doing in Africa. Uh, I am just the front guy. But, uh, but I don't want to make it sound like if you're not in Africa, you're less of a Christian, you're out of God's will or whatever, you're a spiritual pygmy. But, uh, but I believe uh, we're all part of reaching the lost. And so I'll tell you a little about what you're doing, what, what's happening, and an update. But it's not the real reason I feel like I'm here. Um, I'm just thinking there's one other thing I need to say, but I can't have a good memory. It's just short. I just don't. But uh, so anyway, uh, it'll, it'll come to me. But let me just pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time to allow us into your living room. We just uh, invite you to take charge and uh, that you'd protect me from myself, that you and you alone would be glorified, that you would... Uh, change us in whatever you want to do in our lives. 
We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. Real quickly about me, I'm going to try and do it in less than two to three minutes. I was born uh, into a Jewish home uh, up in Canada in a little town called Toronto. And I know many of you have never heard of it, but it's, uh, it's uh, north of the border. And, uh, and then I went through eight years of Hebrew school as bar mitzvah. I had rebellion days and finally came right. I wasn't a Christian, had seven university degrees, law school and other things. And ended up uh, back in Montana where uh, I was a tax attorney, CPA and other things. Uh, as a successful professional and uh, we had around I think five kids back then and uh, and then the Lord started speaking to me and I'm gonna stop there for a moment um, because I want to go on but I'm gonna fast forward because I'm not gonna get to this later but the Lord took us into a journey that really trashed our lives we went upside down and we committed 40 years of our lives to serving the Lord at the bottom end of Africa, working with the Osa people in the former Republic of Trans Sky. It's a, right now there's 8 million people there. Uh, most of them don't know Christ. Uh, there's over 10,000 unreached villages and we work with, how many missionaries do we work with now? None. There are no other missionaries in 8 million people. So uh, we are the last hope uh, currently. So we're been, we made a 40-year commitment, my wife and I, and we've only been there 33 years. So I was, I, as I, I was just there uh, Wednesday, uh, got, matter of fact, I almost didn't make my flight. I had to get, I got stuck in the mud in four-wheel drive, if uh, you can imagine, and had to get a span of oxen to pull me out. There's no double A that you can call. There's no phones. There's no roads. And so I was in a remote village, and so I was covered in mud, got on a flight, and uh, got hosed down when I got here. And uh, a little hard to get out of South Africa right now. So, uh, and during the last 33 years, real quickly, uh, the Lord's uh, blessed us with, uh, uh, we've started 1,450 churches. We've baptized over 40,000. We've uh, started a Bible college. Our HIV AIDS hospital saw 78,000 people last year alone. And we have schools and clinics and leaders and we're just doing all this stuff. And, uh, and people think I'm a great missionary. And I need to confess to you, I'm not a great missionary. But even if you have good soil, even a bad farmer looks good. You know, and we work in really fertile soil. And so I have great leaders, fertile soil, and a big God. And I show up for the photo ops that you saw in the video. And uh, so there's nothing great about me. But... Um, and so anyway, we're still doing it. We have seven more years of our 40-year uh, commitment. Then we don't know the Lord might uh, take us to Bangladesh or Sri Lanka or some weird place like Massachusetts. I don't know. In the uh, next seven years. So uh, we'll just see what the Lord has. 
During that time, I think Paul would uh, ask me to share that uh, because he's experienced it there. Not only do we see somewhere between 80 and 120 people come to Christ every night, and we see uh, even witch doctors coming to Christ, warriors, we see, see them all, see people set free of demons uh, on a regular basis. Paul really helped out in that area. People that were uh, demon-possessed, he, he uh, has a real strength there. And not only that, but we've seen the miracles. And I uh, don't want to uh, puff us up thinking we're great, but not just our ministry. There's other ministries there that see the miracles. And I'm not talking about, well, you had the sniffles and praise God, it's a miracle, but you don't have them anymore in the morning. Well, it could be NyQuil, it could be God, I don't know. But, it, uh, but, but I'm talking when I say a miracle is when someone is dead, not breathing, stiff, cold, flies walk under eyes, and you pray for them and they come back to life. When, when the Lord does these things, and uh, as I said, it's not just our ministry, but other ministries down there, your faith goes off the faith meter, and you, and you have a greater measure of faith. And then when you talk about it, I want to talk, what, what was your name again? Dale? Craig. Craig. And uh, that, you know, when you, when you pray, uh, you, when you read the scripture, what is the key element when the Lord brings a miracle is faith. You know, greater faith have I not seen in all of your, and you know, your faith has made you well, your faith, your faith, your faith. But once you see God work, your faith goes off the faith meter. And you know, it's so easy to, to believe. I have no doubt that God can and will heal. If you just trust him, he'll, he'll bring that about. There's no, special canola oil there's no special magic words or you don't have to pray in the king james lisp or anything like that you just let god do what he wants to do so i'm gonna stop for a minute this is important to your life could you mind coming up here allowing me just real, just pray for you and not gonna make a big show of this and uh and it's and, and just gonna yeah, this isn't a, a show. It's just a glorify God. And the Lord's going to heal you, and, and you're going to be a testimony. You're going to be a walking testimony. He selfishly wants to use you. Lord, I just pray that you just heal him, not by any cute words that I'd say or yelling or shouting or anything else. But, Lord, you do what you're purposing to do, that you'd heal him, restore him to health, that he'd just touch the hem of your garment and be made well and whole and that he would be a testimony to yes, those Lord. around of your glory. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, and we have no doubt that you will continue the work. Amen. 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 Thank you. Real deal. <laughs> okay. And uh, that was easy. I didn't have to do the hocus-pocus words. Good. Um, uh, by the way, my wife says to say hello. My wife uh, wanted to be here. I haven't seen my wife uh, in a while. Her, her father just died uh, not so long ago. So she's over in the Rockies. And uh, so uh, hopefully I'm going to see her soon. Here I'm seeing you guys before I've even seen my wife in a while. So uh, just off the boat from Africa. And uh, da-da-da-da. Okay. 
Let me uh, get to where I want to go this morning. And uh, what I want to talk to you this morning is lordship. Now, I want to tell you about my testimony and what happened to me, how I got unsaved. Is that possible to get unsaved? It depends on... Uh... Oh, thank you. Hold on. Like this. So it won't feed back because it's feeding back. I'm holding it. Like, yeah, it shouldn't feed back. Okay, well, hold it right there. I got it. <laughs> yeah, it's right on the receiver, so that's why. It's Vodka. No. <laughs> oh, I can see why they have the spirit. Uh, is this the right angle? Okay. So it's the left hand. I see. I got it. Okay. But, um, yeah, right hand. Um, anyway, I I, uh, I was unsaved as uh, as Jewish. I uh, and after bar mitzvah, I went in the world, got in a lot of trouble, drinking and drugs and partying, and and I know none of you have done any of that. Sure, you guys are little lily white Christians, but um, anyway, I got in uh, some trouble, and like many of you have, and. Uh, but in the 60s, we were looking for meaning of life, whether you're going to India or Hare Krishna or, you know, different religions. Everybody wanted to know what it's all about. And I looked in all the wrong places, but never found an answer. So I decided I'm just going to go and party. And so that's what I did for most of my college days and uh, postgraduate days and, you know, yeah, there is no meaning to life. But I always thought there, why was I born? Just to die and just kind of like, uh, you know, born, death, in between, oh, just party or maybe travel and get more postcards or make a bunch of money of things you don't need uh, or somebody else will have. But but that unanswered question was still there. And I met a... Um, a logger up in uh, Montana, a uh, friend of mine, and and I, I always wanted to know what you Gentiles believed, and I, but the, you Gentiles could never tell me. They, uh, when I'd ask, you'd always yell. You couldn't just tell me the gospel; they'd yell the gospel, and when they yell, they spit. I, I don't know why that Christians yell and spit. And uh, I really just had some basic questions about how, why do you, you know, wash in blood and, you know, kill your old man and all this other stuff that you guys believe in. And so uh, I met this logger that had a similar drug background as I had. And, uh, and he was really slow and didn't yell and spit. And uh, he shared with me the gospel. And then he said something that really uh, rocked my world. He said, and salvation's a free gift of God. Well, as soon as he said free to a Jewish guy, duh, of course I took it. And I got saved on a freebie. If it was, if it was double coupon day, I would have gotten saved twice. But, uh, but really where I want to go with that is, and this is really important, that see, see, try to track with me. I was saved for, I'm going to guess, two or three years. I accepted Jesus as my Messiah. I believed in the word of God. Uh, I, you know, 
Jesus, I believed in Jesus Christ. I claimed to be a Christian for three years, very active in the church and doing all the church stuff. And as a Christian, a follower of Christ for three years, but I never knew the Lord Jesus. Well, wait a second. How can you be a Christian and not know the Lord Jesus? Well, I did for around three or four years. The Jesus I knew wasn't my Lord. He was my servant. Oh my gosh, he was my little genie in the lamp. Whenever I needed a favor or needed something healed, finances, medical, social, relational, you know, hey, Jesus, do this, do that, please, come on. And uh, so he was my little step and fetch it. He was my Lord. Now I'm suddenly reading the scripture that he is called to be Lord. And well, if he's called to be Lord, you know, we have to serve. And I don't know, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to, you know, kind of get involved with this Christian lifestyle, have a little purpose, augment my, the rest of my life. And all of a sudden to serve him, make him Lord. And I was living for myself, following the American dream, whether whatever it is to you, but for us in Montana, it was, you know, just uh, pay off the ranch and, uh, and I had a CPA corporation as a financial advisor to the governor and, you know, had a bunch of businesses and so on. Um, and the Lord saying, he wanted to be Lord. And don't just live for yourself in the American dream. And I go, that's not what I got. My whole life I've been geared towards following the American dream. So someday I can retire with my little white picket fence house or sit on the golf course and watch grass grow or whatever. But now the Lord saying he wants me to live for him. I go, I don't know, that's not what I bargained for. And I go, I don't, I don't know about this. Maybe I should have uh, gone to the dark side and he would have been in trouble. But, uh, but anyway, I just go, <clears throat> at the time, there was a singer that really impacted my life, a guy named Keith Green. And some of you remember him, and a uh, great guy. Uh, never knew him personally, but, uh, but he said he, he's, he, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that really stuck with me. And, and is he Lord of my life? Well, maybe 10%. I'll stretch it maybe 40%, but not 100%, no. I still had my, I was living my own life for myself, for my own goals, values, what I wanted to accomplish, how I wanted to live, me and my family, us four no more kind of mentality. And he says, he wants to be a hundred percent Lord. He, you know, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so I don't know if I really want to continue on with this whole thing, but, but I knew and experienced enough about the Lord that he is real. And, uh, so I kind of wrestled with God and wrestling with God is like wrestling with a sumo wrestler. Yeah. End up in some orifice you don't want to be in. He wins, you know, and uh, so anyway, I, uh, Lord won, and uh, I said, okay, whatever you want, and uh, 
other that, he said, he said he wanted all of me. And I go, I don't know what that means, you know, sure, you know, I sing it, I say it, you know, I'm yours, Lord. And, and but now, now where I'm really coming into my message on lordship is, my problem is, is I would sing about it, read about it, hear about it, but about joy unspeakable, peace that goes beyond all understanding, abounding love, and we can hear all about it, but do you have it in your life? Well, maybe occasionally on Sunday mornings or when we go to that, you know, Christian luncheon on Thursday, or but is your life filled with joy, peace, love? Is it filled with God? Are you experiencing God? Let me take it a step further. Are you growing in the Lord? Now, this is something that bothers me even today. Am I where I was three years ago, five years ago? And when I come back in a couple of years, am I still going to be in the same place? I hope not. But the Lord wants to take me to higher ground. He wants me to take me more intimate and abiding in him. But I have to let go. And so I want that joy unspeakable. I want that peace, that love. I don't want to just sing it, read about it, and watch everyone else have it. But when at night when I close the door and the rest of the world is shut out, uh, do I have that intimacy with the Lord? Uh, so I'm here this morning to introduce you to how to reclaim or to claim that joy, peace, love, all the uh, fruits of the spirit, that intimacy where you're no longer servants or slaves but become friends of God and uh, where you can walk with him and talk with him and not just ask him for favors all the time. And uh, I know if I, uh, well, I have, you know, five, well, six kids, I guess. Uh, I got more than that, but I, I, we went there with five kids and my daughter Maria, Kathy gave birth to Maria and, uh, oh my gosh. And so we had one child born Africa, and she says she's African-American. And I go, no, you, so she goes to college here, and she's telling everybody she's African-American. And, and, and all the people at college say, no, you ain't. You, you, you're not African-American, we're African-American. And she goes, no, and so she gets in these arguments. But in Africa, she looks like a marshmallow in the cocoa. You know, she's not African, don't tell her. You know, so, <laughs> so anyway, we got five kids uh, currently, and uh, I'll tell you about some of the other kids uh, maybe later on. Um, so, um, let me just back up a little bit. Maybe I should just ask you, you know, I, I'm asking myself, why am I here? Is it just to have, uh, you know, Boston cream pie or something like that or a Dunkin' Donut? Why, why am I here? But more than that, why are you here? 
Why did you come this morning? Because it's Sunday? Uh, because of habit? Because your wife made you? You know, uh, Paul David gets paid to be good, but the rest of us are good for nothing? Why are we here? We're family, okay, and but there's some of us, you're right, we are family, but there's some of us that are not content in being where they have been all the time. They want something new. They want to go to higher ground. They want to enter into a new dimension of the kingdom. They want to be more intimate with God. They're tired of plateauing out where they've been five years ago and they've never grown since. And there's some people that want more of God. And it's not how loud you shout, it's how much you surrender. And so why are you here is, I know why I'm here. I'm not here to entertain or enlighten. I could tell you tales of the mission field all day. I could tell you uh, good stuff and bad stuff. And, uh, but I don't want to waste my time and your time. And, uh, I, um, I need to confess something. When I first became a Christian, I was really concerned with what you thought of me. And people would come into my office, and I'd even have my Bible out, and they look like I was reading the Bible, or well, wasn't. Or at church, I'd be raising my hands and thinking about how the Patriots are going to lose again, or whatever it is. Oh, sorry, sorry, I lost my supporter there. But... Um, but, uh, but you know, but I was, tr I wanted everybody to think I was a great Christian, great uh, godly man. And uh, I realized that you folks don't count in my life. When I leave in a couple of days, you don't count. There's a day coming where I'm going to stand before the Lord. If he's 100% real, which I believe he is, and is he going to say, well done, good and faithful or is he going to say get out of here I don't even know you I go wait 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 wait. let me call the, the bridge metro west yeah, those people think I'm great no let me call Paul David you know the Lord said oh anybody can fool him but you know my, how about my wife oh no witnesses and so you can fool so many people but you're not fooling God and uh, you can come here real pious and have your secret little sins that no one th sees, but God sees. And, uh, and how, how your life is like, the Lord sees that. And there is a day coming where you are going to stand before the Lord. You know, whether you like it or not, you can't beat the clock. You are going to stand before the Lord. And what is he going to say about you? He's not going to allow you to bring witnesses and uh, a resume of all that you've done. Uh, so, I, uh, it's really important that I grow. And uh, like right now, I'm, the Lord's dealing with some areas of my life that he wants to change in me. And also, he's given me some insight that, uh, you know, over the last 40 or whatever years that I never saw that insight into the kingdom. And uh, it, it's so exciting. I go, why, did, why didn't I see this 40 years ago? 
And uh, so he wants to do that. But uh, but you, if you really want to enter into that dimension of the kingdom, you want to get into the inner circle, you want to get intimate with the Lord, it's going to cost you your life. And um, I, yeah, I just, when you, when you, let me just go to Matthew 19. I'll just, I'll, I'm just going to grab that. Matthew 19, and you guys all know the story about the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler, he was young. I don't know what that means in uh, your world, but, you know, in those days, people lived for 100 or 200 years sometimes. And so he is, uh, it says, is rich and is young and is a ruler. And he finally finds this Jesus guy. In one of the gospels, he actually calls him Lord. And he says, what must I do to enter into that dimension? I see all your disciples in. I want that too. Yeah. I, I, you know, and you know, and this guy was, you know, he had the, he had Teslas and Ferraris and oh. condos, big portfolio. This guy had it all. And, uh, and Jesus says, well, you just got to do the basics. Uh, first of all, do you, you go to church, tithe, 10 commandments, whatever. He goes, oh, I do all that. Matter of fact, I even tithe 11%, you know, so he's kind of like, but, and so it goes, well, Jesus said, that's, that's cool. You know, they, you do all the basics, but now if you really want to enter into the dimension of the lifestyle, dimension of the kingdom, take everything you have, get rid of it. Sell it and give it away. Don't sell it and keep the profit. He says, give everything you have away and follow me. And, uh, and we read that. We're up in Montana. We had quite a bit, and the Lord was calling us to the bottom of Africa. And we read that and go, are you sure you meant everything, all? And we read it in different versions, and all means all. And so we gave away, you know, hundreds of acres of land. We've given away th three or four houses we had, businesses. All that we had, we gave away. And we went to Africa with nothing but the Lord. And, uh, and but the rich young ruler was challenged by this. He had a pretty big investment portfolio and all this. And so Jesus said, yeah, it's not that hard. Give everything you have away. Follow me. And he, so the rich young ruler, he goes back to his tent. All night long, he's kind of stressing out, walking around his tent, kicking camel dung, kind of getting real frustrated. Does Jesus realize how much I have, you know? He's asking a lot from me, and I've worked really hard to get it, and whatever, whatever. And what happened is the rich young ruler never ever entered into that dimension of the kingdom he the camera sees him going off into the sunset off into the desert and he had everything the world had to offer him but he missed out on the kingdom and you never hear from him again he's gone and he's frustrated he wanted that but he didn't want to let go of what he had 
But then all of a sudden the camera shows over here where Jesus is going off to the left and Jesus is frustrated because the Lord didn't want his investment portfolio. He didn't want his Bitcoins and his Teslas and whatever he had. He wanted him. And uh, Jesus is walking away frustrated and his disciples going, hey, Lord, you know, uh, let's go after him. I mean, we could have a big, you know, TV, radio ministry and a big sanctuary. We could, our ministry could really go uber. And, and Jesus said, no, no. It's, uh, Jesus couldn't even talk hardly. But he said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a needle to go through an eye of a camel or something like that. Thank you. A camel to go through an eye of the needle. Well, I'm going to tell you what the eye of the needle is. And some of you may know, but in Jerusalem, there's 12 major gates. But then they have after-hour doors. They're only around four feet high. Some of you have maybe have gone to Jerusalem. And, uh, and you leave your caravan behind out there, and, and they do what they do. And you can go in and get some refreshments and get uh, some shelter and you can go you know you have to duck down some of you that are taller and uh but those were called the eye of the needle now you and i could probably fit through these eye of the needle doors but for a camel a little harder he has to do two things one thing a camel has to get on his knees and he's not designed to walk on his knees. And the Lord's saying, we need to get on our knees if we really want to enter it. And the other thing is, a camel has to get rid of all the stuff that he is carrying and is strapped to his back that he's tied to. He has to untie and untither himself from all the possessions that he is carrying around to go through that eye of the needle. It's hard for a camel to go through it. And same way, if we don't let go of all that we have, then you can't serve both God and man, man, mammon. You know, you have to choose who you're going to serve. And, uh, and he, he's not negotiating. He's not saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do 80% for you if you give me the rest over time. Now, he, he's not negotiating. He's saying he wants all. And, um, and out of that, you have to look at yourself and saying, have you given all? He wants all. Or have you been holding back? It's like, uh, uh, I think, AI way back in the Old Testament, how he hid the little treasure under the tent and uh, thought no one would see, you know, his little stash that he had. And, you know, and you can hide these things from the Lord in case he doesn't show up. And I have to admit, I've done that, where all of a sudden I'm praying, and in case God doesn't show up, I have uh, the, the banker on the phone, or I have an ace up my sleeve, or whatever it is. And then the Lord does show up, and I'm look so embarrassed and you know Lord saying 
why did you doubt me? And uh, so if God is real, I believe he is, he's 100% real. And he is asking you to trust him with 100% of your life. And to that, we gave it all away. We've gone to Africa. People say, what is your biggest regret in giving it all away? Do you have any regrets? And uh, I can honestly say, yeah, we have one big regret, and that is not doing it sooner, even as a Christian. Now, we have something the world can't take away. You know, we don't have what maybe many of you have. Uh, we don't have what people are afraid of losing, but we have something the world can't take away. Somebody came up to my wife yeah, a while back and said, do you have a bread maker? And she didn't know what a bread maker was. And, and it goes like, you gotta have a bread maker. And if we don't have it, we don't need it. And uh, so uh, while the world is chasing after newer, better, bigger, fancier, the Lord just wants you. And he's going to give you the peace, not like a, a fancy car or a bigger home is going to give you. Uh, uh, but God wants it all. And, you know, I'm just, what is it, Matthew 13, where it says a man finds a, a great treasure in the ground. And he says he... It's so valuable, he will give all that he has or the pearl of great price. That in the same chapter, as a matter of fact, he'll give all that he has for this. And are you holding back or are you giving it all? Now, um, has Paul ever, Paul David ever talked to you guys about the attempted murder of Ike Abramson? No? Okay. It's in Genesis 22. And, uh, you know, Abraham was called to give his son Ike, you know, most valuable thing, the promise of the whole world, give the most valuable thing to God. And, uh, you know, and... I can't believe, I got to talk to Paul David about this, but, you know, keeping you guys in the dark. But anyway, so so Abe takes his son Ike up on the mountain and says, hang, hang at, you know, and, and the son's kind of saying, hey, dude, you know, what's the knife? And, you know, where's the wood? And, and uh, but he was willing to give the most valuable thing he had to God. And are you willing to, What what is those valuable thing that you have. God wants it all. And uh, you can say it. Say, oh, I, my business is yours. My finances, is yours. My house is yours. Uh, I just think, uh, I don't know if I ever shared this, this, this kind of joke that uh, the joke goes like this, that the, the Pope needed a heart transplant. I thought I shared this a long time ago with you. But uh, Pope needed a heart transplant. He's, he had a heart, coronary problem. And they didn't know what to do. And so uh, Pope was going to die. So all the cardinals got together and, uh, 
and they go to the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica or whatever, and all these Italians, 100,000 Italians are saying, take them a heart, take them a heart. You know how they do that, the Italians, with uh, olive oil all over their hair and all that stuff. And so, uh, sorry, those of you who are Italian here. So, uh, and, and the, the, you know, who are they going to pick? So they, they have this great idea. They go to the balcony with a big white feather, and they said, whoever this lands on will have the privilege of giving your heart transplant to the Pope. And 100,000, you know, Italians are all saying, take him a heart. Take him a heart. Take my heart. They're saying the right things, but do they really mean it? We can say the right things. We can sing the right things. We can pray the right things. But are we blowing feathers? Or are we really sincere? What if he takes it? And the uh, Lord's not buying uh, all these kind of phony little things. The Lord's saying, get real. And if you mean it, I know, I know my, my pa used to say, you poop or get off the pot. I know that's not good preaching, but either you get real or get out. And, uh, you know, I might be losing half of the church here by saying this, but get real or, or get out of here. I'd rather watch NFL than uh, play a, a, a game, but I want to get real. I want to get closer to God. I want that joy, peace, love, all these other things we talked about earlier. And, uh, and we gave it away and uh, have no regrets. I'm going to finish with this one testimony that changed my life and uh, I was up in Montana and I had uh, my CPA corporation we had four branch offices and uh, and I work early in the morning I'm one of those weird morning people so I'm there around four or five in the morning and do, during income tax season and so uh, that's where we made most of our money and so I was working on people's income tax, um, and uh, somebody was knocking on my window, you know, on a ground level. And uh, so I pulled the shade back, and it was uh, a Catholic priest named Father Kazaza. And uh, and I said, oh, come on in. I opened the door, and he came in, and said, here, have some coffee. And so he sat down, and he's a great guy. Uh, and... Um, he says, Kelly, I've come to ask you a favor. Uh, would you mind going and praying for a guy who's dying of leukemia? And I go, well, you know, I'm, I'm just a, you know, a, a CPA, a, a bookkeeper, whatever, accountant. And uh, I'm not a pray guy. Uh, for, you know, you probably talk to a pastor or something. He goes, no, I really want, feel like you need to do it, Kelly. And I go, it's the middle of tax season. You know, we're charging four or 500 an hour and for me to go, you know, take a couple hours off and see this guy. And uh, I go, well, maybe I could do it after work, okay. 
where is this guy? Now, I'm up in Montana near the Canadian border, and uh, he says he's in Los Angeles. And I go, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't do that. I'm booked every 15 minutes in my schedule for the next, next few weeks. And he uh, goes, well, you pray about it and see. And I go, I'll pray about it. When you pray about things, the Lord doesn't always make it convenient. Most ministries start at the point of inconvenience. When you don't have time, you don't have the money, you don't have the food. And uh, so the more I pray about it, I just realized I was putting my income-making job ahead of ministering to this guy and, guy, and I don't know what I could do for him. I'm not a doctor, not a, a pastor or anything back then. And, uh, but by within a few hours, I realize that the Lord is saying, I need to show the Lord that he's first in my life. So I, when my secretary came in, I said, cancel all my appointments for today. Book me a flight out of Spokane and I'm going to go down to L.A. for the night to pray for a guy. She thought I was kind of bunkers. So, um, so uh, next thing I know, I'm on a plane. I go down to L.A. It's really interesting because I did law school at UCLA, and that's where this guy was at, UCLA Medical Center. But I've never been to the medical center, and it's not like a hospital. It's many hospitals. So I didn't know which one to go to. So I went to, I thought, well, the biggest one. So I go to the biggest hospital in the UCLA Medical Center. And, uh, and so I go to the front desk and uh, to ask for this guy, it's really embarrassing, and I forgot his name. And like I said earlier, of a good memory, it's just short. And uh, so I said, and, I came to see Mr. Wood, uh, or Woods, or Wooden, or, uh, you know, Woodcliffe, or, uh, you know, Willowwood, or something, and, uh, and they go, no, we don't know anybody like that, and then, and so I'm struggling, they, they have no recollection, all I know is this, Wood was in his name somewhere, and so, all of a sudden, this lady, who I've never seen before, comes up behind me, and she goes, are you Kelly Kosky? And I go, gosh, is this gal from some fraternity party I should forget about? You know, uh, you know, who is this gal? And and uh, and so, and I go, yeah, I'm Kelly Kosky. And she goes, well, am Mrs. Woodworth and Pat Woodworth, and uh, we're told by Father Kazaza that you might be coming up. And uh, I go, well, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Uh, she said, well, I've been, him all, been with him all day. Within the next 12 hours or 24 hours, he's going to lose all his white blood cells, and they don't expect him to live for next day or two. He should die. And uh, I said, well, okay. And so I, I went up uh, to his room, and you had to wash up and gown up and gloves and mask and put something over my head like a hair follicle was going to kill him. So... Uh, and so I went in to, to see this guy, and he's a, a big sort of guy, and he's just in bed, uh, just 
And I realized I was looking at in the face of a guy who is dying. And he is going to be accountable within the next 48 hours. Uh, I didn't believe in healing or miracles at that time. I was young in my Christian walk. And, uh, but what do you say to a dying man? Don't smoke cigars in bed or cheer up or, you know, I I didn't know what to say to him. And uh, so I, uh, you know, so I give my testimony and then he said, he started talking about himself and a few things he said that really impacted me. One is he said, um, you know, when I get better, oh, one thing he's saying that he owned a ski resort. He owned factories in Germany and throughout Europe and a vineyard in France. He had farms in the Midwest and he's an incredibly wealthy guy. And uh, he had, and I'm thinking rich young ruler kind of guy and this guy was it. And he said, and then he went further and he said, when I get better, positive thinking, positive word, uh, pronouncement. He goes, I'm going to consolidate this and I'm going to amalgamate these operations. I'm going to liquidate, you know, those things in South France. And, and he still was acting like he's in charge of all this. He's ready to lose everything. But in his mind, he thinks he's in charge. And I didn't know what to say, but, you know, and it, I got into his room around midnight. It's around 2 in the morning now. And when you run out of things to say, the best thing to do is pray. So I started praying with him. And this is one of the very few times I've prayed with somebody. And the Lord has spoken concurrently with me and the other person other than my wife. This has happened with me and my wife quite a bit. But, uh, but with somebody else other than my wife. And the Lord was saying, have you really given it all to me? And of course, flippantly, we said yes. And then the Lord said, dig deeper. And we realized there's so much that we haven't. And, uh, and, and I, I am the one that was digging deeper, whether it's my gun collection, whether it's my you know, heirlooms, whether it's my portfolio, whether it's my business, my house, my whatever it is, my old car I'm fixing up or whatever. And whether, uh, but things that you've held on to, maybe things from your grandmother, things sentimental. And have you really given it all to me? And I realize there's so much I haven't given to the Lord and I'm going to lose it sooner or later. And and Dick had a lot more to give than I did. Yeah, he had a lot more to unload than I did. And so for the next hour or two, the Lord kept digging deeper and deeper into our lives. Not just things that we had, but sins in our lives that no one knew about. You guys don't know about all my little secret sins. I had to give those to the Lord. And... uh and so at that point, it was pretty exhausting. And then the Lord said something that really upset me. He said, he said, have you given your children to me? And 
and I knew I couldn't fake it. I couldn't just say yes. But I knew if the Lord took my children home that night, I'd be pissed off. I'd be bitter at God because they're my children. And uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to give my kids to God. And, uh, and the Lord wasn't negotiating. He's saying, they're not your kids. They're not your children. I've called you to father my children. But don't take ownership of them, Kelly. And at that point, I fantasized the death of all my kids. Years later on the mission field, we had to bury one of our kids, Robson. But the sting of death wasn't so pungent because we'd already given our, our kids to the Lord. And so... Uh, We, um, I, it was really hard. And so the Lord then said another thing that I go, what else do I have of value? He says, have you given your wife to me? And I just go, no way am I going to, I'll go knuckles up with anybody that messes with my wife. And here he wants my wife and I'd be bitter at God if he took her home that night I'm not going to give her to him because I know he might take her and I wrestled with the Lord but he says you don't own her she might wear your name but I've called you to be I've called you to husband my handmaiden while you're on earth but don't own her and at that point it's the first time that I really ever gave my wife to the Lord, fantasized her death, and realized I don't own her. I don't own my kids. I don't own. And then the Lord said one final thing to, to Dick Woodworth and I. He said, have you given it all to me? That's what he said at the beginning. Have you given your life to me? And flippantly, we said, oh, yes. And then he zeroed right in in Dick Woodworth and said, then what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing if you've given it to him? It's interesting when COVID hit, so many people were afraid of losing their lives. And I don't know too much. I'm just a Bush missionary. But how can you be afraid of losing something you don't even own? If you've given your life to the Lord, how can you be so fearful of it? And he turns to Dick, or focuses on Dick, said, then what are you afraid of losing? And that night, for the first time, I believe I've really actually given it all as much as I can and given my life to Christ. And... Uh, and out of that, I have freedom now. And because uh, it's all his and he has taken me to a higher place. And I've experienced joy unspeakable and, and a peace that goes beyond all. Because I don't have to worry about losing anything if you don't own it. And, and there's some of you here. Let's bring this home. There's some of you here 
that for a long time you've wanted to go to higher ground. You've been singing more, Lord, more, Lord. I want more of you and all that when you won't give up what he's asking for and let go of what you're holding on to. You can sing all you want and say all you want, but unless you're willing to pay the price, you know, you're just blowing feathers. And this morning, some of you that want that joy, peace, love, that dimension of the kingdom, and, you know, until you really yield all that and go into the other side of the it's like Alice in, uh, Alice in Wonderland you know the other side of the looking glass things don't make sense where the Bible says giving is getting and giving is you know and living and dying is living and all these things in the script don't make sense to me but when you go on the other side of the looking glass there's a whole new world the new dimension where the properties of this world don't make sense. And you don't understand it until you let go and go through that looking glass and go into the dimension of the kingdom. But to do it yeah, like the camel, you have to leave your rest of your world behind. If you really, really, really want to have that intimacy of God, that, that kingdom lifestyle, he wants that. He died on the cross so you could have it. But it's up to you if you want to embrace it. And he's calling many of you this morning to let go of what encumbers us. I'm going to just pray. If, uh, if Jeremy could just give a little worship music uh, in the background. But uh, I just... Uh, Let's just pray and see what the Lord's saying to you. Let's just pause and not be in a hurry. And Lord, I need to confess that we haven't given it all to you. We want it all. We ask for it all. We want more of you. But Lord, we've limited what we're wanting to yield to you we're living for ourselves many of us and we want to live for you we want more of you Lord and Lord whatever it takes Lord we don't want to wait till the final day we want to hear the words well done good and faithful the Lord's right now speaking to many of you the Holy Spirit speaking to many of you wow you right now that you have never really yielded that area of your life you've said the words but what if he took it is it really his if he given it to him as the Holy Spirit searching your heart right now whether it's family heirlooms valuable things investment portfolios, insecurities, loved ones, you know, collections or sentimental things. The Lord's saying, put it on the altar. Give it to him. Let go of what 
so easily encumbers you and run the race set before you. And also those sins in your life that you're holding on to. No one else knows about the bitterness, the, the covetousness, the, but, you know, the jealousy, the lustfulness, whatever it is. But Lord, just want to give all that to you. The unforgiveness that we've harbored, give that to you, Lord. Lord, we want to be set free to run with you like hinds feet in high places and dance with you and to come into that dimension that you've talked about. The Lord's speaking to many of you. Don't stop right now. He's not done with you at all. Dig deeper. He's, he's revealing it right now to you. And you either can give it to him or he'll eventually take it. Holy Spirit, come and don't let us off the hook until we yield 100% to you. Just loose the hounds of heaven to keep barking at us till we say, yes, Lord, that's yours too. Whether it's your children, whether it's your education, your vocation, your profession, whether it's your future or your securities or insecurities, the Lord wants them all. doesn't want half measures. He wants it all. Yes, the Lord is speaking to you, not the person next to you. He's speaking to you. Don't rush the Lord. He's just started. He's just started. Let him go deeper. yours, Lord. It's all yours. Lord, as you search our hearts that we would you'd give us the strength to let go of what we've been holding on to so long. That we wouldn't hold on to it in fear would be let going it in freedom. Do what you're wanting to do, Lord. Not just now and here, but the days ahead, Lord. The hours ahead, in the middle of the night that you'd reveal areas, maybe it's dreams, aspirations, plans for your life. That you let them die can't walk the resurrected life unless it dies first. Do what you're purposing to do, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
just stay in prayer. Let the Lord finish what he's doing. I think he's just started some of you. promise of God's destiny for future generations. They are the hope of God's promise for tomorrow. It is here to this place that God has called Kelikoski to bring the truth of his salvation and the joy of his amazing grace. Kathy and I have spent over half our lives reaching the lost in these remote villages. Kelly's love for the people of the Transkei motivates him to travel thousands of kilometers across the vast open plains of the rural Transkei. As we're working to reach the hidden half of this world, we couldn't do it without you. We're bringing the light to those in darkness. And we thank the Lord that he's able to do what we can't do. As you watch this video, it gives you something to pray for. As we are reaching the tens of thousands of unreached villages and the over five million Osa, this is the journey that Kelly takes to reach the unreached with God's message. Praying for those who are afflicted by disease, teaching those who long to learn about God's truth, and preaching a message of hope. It's not always fun for the local people, but the Lord died on the cross so they could have joy, and we're bringing the hope to those that are in darkness, bringing joy to those who are sad and grieving. This is God's servant on the great African continent, Kelly, the servant of God, who is willing to go where others have not yet been. As the day closes here in Transkei, we look at not just one more village, but we look at tens of thousands of villages that we haven't been able to reach today. But tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow's another day to go into the villages and reach the lost, the unreached. But we can't do it alone. We need you to join us in prayer, support, and hopefully even coming out here and being part of what God's doing to reach the lost. We want to thank you for standing with us in the quest to reach one more village. Amen.
That's what's happened to a CPA from Montana 35 years ago that went to the bottom of the world to serve the Lord. And uh, what's he calling you to do? He's calling you to reach the lost, but you don't have to go to Africa. You can just go across the street, maybe. Yes. But we're all called to be part of reaching the lost. This morning, I'm going to close with, uh, turn it over with communion, but I have something I need to, I wouldn't say confess to you, but uh, I'm going to tell you a story that many of you are asking yourself. What happened to Kelly's leg? You know, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's in Africa, but it's uh, but communion has taken on a whole new meaning to me. For years, I took communion as just flippantly like, okay, you know, hurry up, you know, we'll take communion, a little bread, a little wine, and okay, we're out of here before the game starts. And, 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 uh, but what happened there in Africa is I might go from village to village. I might be in the back of a dump truck. I might be in a bus. I might be walking. I might be uh, being pulled by a donkey or, uh, or riding a bicycle. Well, this one day I was riding a bicycle from one village to another, and a semi-truck was coming down the road with two trailers, uh, this dirt road, don't have many vehicles coming down, with full of bricks. And uh, he ran me over and knocked me down. And the first trailer, I could see the two double wheels coming at me, and they crushed my right leg. And the second trailer, the two wheels, somehow my leg got caught up in the wheels and it ripped my leg off. And, uh, and I looked to my right and my, my leg was ripped off. It started out as a normal morning. And, uh, and uh, I knew enough about first aid and so on not to focus on it. I don't want to go into shock. But meanwhile, I looked down where I used to have a leg, and, and I had a little stump, and it was just shredded meat. There's meat all over the ground. And the femoral artery was squirting out blood like windshield wiper fluid. And I could see it just squirting in the air. And I knew I didn't have very long to live. When you run out of blood, you're, you're out. And uh, there's nothing I could do. And, and the, the blood was, I could see it rolling down the dirt into the gutter next to the road, uh, dirt gutter, the erosion, and the blood was just going downhill, coming out of me, and I knew I didn't have but a few more minutes. And I uh, was trying to take my belt off and, and do a tourniquet, and uh, managed to stop the bleeding, but, Without the blood, I was destined to die. And uh, I've never faced death before. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's not entirely true in Nam and a few other places. 
that it was quite evident that's facing death. But, but here I was, and I could see the blood running out, and I could see the pieces of meat scattered about. And I think about Christ on the cross, how they whipped him with a whip, with uh, little rocks and stuff at the end of the whip, ripping meat and muscle out of his back, nailing him to the cross and piercing him and then the blood ran down and the blood was his life. And it's the same as the blood ran out of the Lord, the blood was running out of me really fast. I didn't volunteer for this, but the Lord did. And he did it for me and you. And now, when I take communion, I realize it means a lot more than just a ceremonial, let's take a little bread and, and grape juice and, and go on our way. And a, a truck came down the road, a little pickup truck with a couple guys in it, African guys, and they put me in back and they picked my leg up and threw it in back. And, and, uh, and by the time I got to a trading station, they packed me full of greasy old rags and, uh, and I got gangrene and other stuff and I lost more of my leg. And uh, finally got medical help and uh, managed to save my life. Uh, it's a miracle. Uh, they told my wife, they said, say whatever you want to Kelly because he's not gonna be here in the morning. And because uh, he's lost way too much blood, not just losing a leg, but losing the blood. And so, uh, so they did a few operations, kept cutting off more and more of my leg. But that was 10, 12 years ago, and I'm still around, I'm still in Africa, I'm still reaching the lost. I am uh, almost 72 years old, and I'm still doing it. What are you guys doing for the Lord right here? Does everyone, I, if anyone does not have the communion elements, raise your hand, and uh, they'll get you. Raise your hand if you don't. That sweet lady over there. And uh, in First Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread, you could take the bread out. He took the bread and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, this is my body, which is for you. His body is for you. Whenever you do this, do in remembrance of what he's given for you, that he suffered and died for you. And it wasn't just a physical suffering. The greatest suffering he had is when he had to carry the whole sins of the whole world into his death. 
in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is of the new covenant. In my blood, do this, do this. And whenever you drink of it, remember me and what I've done. Because that was his life, his body, his blood. Let's take a moment and reflect and take the communion. Go for it. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray as, uh, as Greta comes forward. Let's just bow our heads and pray just. Lord, examine my heart today. Lord, show me anything that is not pleasing to you. Remove any secret pride or any unconfessed sin and any rebellion or unforgiveness that I may be, that, that just might be hindering my relationship with you. As I've just taken this bread representing your life that was broken for me, I remember and celebrate your faithfulness to me and to everybody here. I can't begin to fathom the agony you suffered. The suffering of your crucifixion, yet, yet you took that pain for me. You died for each one of us. Lord, it seems so puny to just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your extravagant love and your unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave me life, gave each one of us life, abundant life now in eternal life forever. As you've instructed your disciples, I too have eaten this bread in remembrancing you. In the same way as we've just had the cup representing your blood poured out from a splintered cross, I realize that you were the same supreme sacrifice for all my sins, past, present, and future. Because of your blood shed for me and your body broken for me, I can be free. I thank you for that freedom you've given me. I can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for your victory over death. You've taken the death that I deserved. You took my punishment. And today I remember and celebrate this precious gift of love, of life that you've given me through the blood that you shed for me. I so appreciate what you've done, Lord. Help me not to take it flippantly or take it for granted. But Lord, help me to do what you're calling me to do and each one of us to do. That 
you have not died in vain. We love you and thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.